Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. church. It's good to be with you today. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take them. We're going to, uh, for the most part, hunker in to Matthew chapter 24 today as we conclude a series that we've entitled Unexpected. And we've talked about the unexpected nature of who Christ is and the unexpectedness of even how he died and, and the unexpectedness If on our Monday Thursday focus. We focused in on the unexpectedness of that Monday Thursday experience and the unexpectedness of the tomb. And today we're going to talk about the unexpected expected turn return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This last week, we were headquartered out of Acts chapter 1. And in that passage, I told you that this week we were going to take a second aspect of what we looked at. Remember last week we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises that come for our lives. But you'll remember that in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, it said that uh, men of Jerusalem or Galilee, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken uh, from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, the promise was immediately given that this same Jesus is going to return in like fashion someday. And that really is the, the hope, the great hope of the Christian church. And as you get into Matthew chapter 24, we begin to learn some things about Jesus' return. We learn that his return is going to be unexpected and suddenly, even though we're expecting it, it will come in an unexpected time. Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter 24 that as lightning comes from the east, so, and it is even visible in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Lord. Verse 27. You'll also notice in verse 36 to 44, he says, No one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, that at the coming of the Lord, two will be in the field, one will be left, the other will be taken. Or two women will be at the grindstone, and one will be left, and one will be taken. So when we talk about the return of the Lord, we know that it's going to be sudden. We know that it's unexpected. In fact, it even tells us in Scripture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says about that day and that hour, he says that at a time where people are saying peace and safety, sudden destruction will come. But... And this is a, an important aspect. But it also tells us in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should take you by surprise. The Lord has given us a lot of signs 
on the road to the unexpected. And that's what we want to focus a little bit on today, to understand that when people talk about, in fact, you probably have heard it even more so in these recent days, people talk about, I think, man, it seems like the end is near. It seems like the coming of the Lord is getting close. And I would tell you, absolutely. And the reason that I would say that is because all the signs are kind of pointing to the return of the Lord. And so what I want to do today is I want to take some time to look at some of the signs of the times, the road signs on the journey, so that we understand what season we're in. But I also realized this week, I was telling Lee Schimmel as I was getting ready for this message, I spent three hours on Thursday morning just trying to whittle this message down. And it has become, uh, it became very obvious to me. There's no way to really do justice to this message and, uh, and, uh, and still be encouraging, have enough time to be the encouraging message. And so what we're going to do is uh, I've decided to take five weeks uh, starting in May. Uh, it's going to be, I think, the second Wednesday in May. And I'm going to do a, a study uh, on Wednesday nights on the signs of the times. And we're going to take a look at the coming of the Lord so that we can have, and for those of you who want a little more information, we're going to be able to take more time on that. We can look at the tribulation. We'll take a look at the, at the aspects of the Antichrist and those types of things. Uh, the coming of the Lord, we're going to take a look at the judgment seats, those types of things. And so if that's something that interests you and you'd like to get a little bit more information, uh, we'll do our very best to, uh, to highlight that coming up on Wednesday nights. Tammy and I were traveling to Indiana about two or three weeks ago, and we had to drive two vehicles. Uh, because Brittany had been home, uh, she was using Grandma and Grandpa's uh, car out of Indiana, and so she used it to bring it here, and we said, well, we'll figure out how to get it home sometime. Grandma and Grandpa were in Florida, so they didn't really need it right away anyway. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we realized they're going to be home soon, so we got to get this vehicle down for them to have their vehicle back. And so uh, Tammy was driving one of the vehicles, I was in the other one, and we were on our way to Indiana, and uh, I don't know if my wife just really trusted me or if she thought I was really paying attention, but I don't know what I was doing, but we, we have one particular place in Lansing that when you're going around Lansing, you got to make sure you kind of watch what you're doing, because if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss the turnoff to go to Fort Wayne, which is 69, and if you... And, and whoever came up with the idea of having 69 and 96 cross each other, I have missed that turn so many times in the 20 years I've been coming up here and back and forth. And uh, so anyway, I was doing something. I don't know what I was doing. I might have been talking on the phone or whatever. Anyway, I realized kind of late that it's time to get over. And so I saw the sign, I popped over, and I looked back to make sure Tammy was following me. Uh, nope, she was going to Detroit. That's where she was headed. She was watching me, not the signs. And, and let me just tell you that sometimes we watch people and we don't watch the signs, and we got to make sure we're watching the signs. Jesus gives us a lot of signs of the times. And I'll be honest with you, considering the season we're in, considering this last year, if we've spent all of our time looking at the signs of the end times, honestly, I'd probably have to have the counseling center give free sessions because it's discouraging when you see it. But understand that for the believer in Jesus Christ, the end times should not be a scary thing. In fact, for the believer in Jesus Christ, 
This is always intended to be encouraging. So I promise you, hang with me for the second 15 minutes of the message because the second 15 minutes is the encouraging portion that you've got to see, but we don't want to be taken by surprise. Now here's what it says in Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll just focus in on what Jesus says here. By the way, the Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is called the Mount of Olive Discourse. This is in the last week of Jesus' life. This is his primary teaching on the end times. And so if you're trying to get it kind of headquartered into a, a two-chapter passage, this is, the, this is the primary teaching of Jesus on the signs of the times. Here's what he says. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples said to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name proclaiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time... Many will turn away from the faith. They will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come now it's interesting that as you look at jesus jesus gives a summary cliff notes version the individual that would have been his closest earthly friend john is given the vision that jesus has just given but he gives it in more detail in the book of revelation and so what I've done in your note sheets is I have corresponded in Revelation chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. I have given you corresponding discussion where John gives what Jesus talks about, but he gives it in a little bit more detail. That's for those of you who like to study such things. And you'll notice that there are six categories that are road signs that Jesus gives that you need to be aware of as we approach the end of the age. The first thing he talks about is that there's going to be a prevailing culture of false. Be a lot of spiritual deceit going on. He says, be sure that people don't deceive you. He says, there's going to be people coming saying they represent me, they don't represent me. And by the way, how do you tell if someone is representing Christ or not representing Christ? That's why it is so important to be grounded in the Word of God. Because if somebody teaches something that is contrary to the Word of God, I promise you they are not representing Christ. 
Let me say that again. If somebody teaches something that is not grounded in the word of God, then it is contrary to the will and the teaching of who Christ is. That's why Paul says that you got to be sure that you pay attention to who you're allowing to speak into your life. He says it in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for the time is going to come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn it toward myths. So what is he saying? He says, well, rather than having someone teach truth and we align ourselves with that truth, he says to satisfy our itching ears, we're going to decide what we want to be truth and then we'll find somebody who aligns with that. Well, I will tell you, there is a, a prevailing prevalence of that within culture today. And I'm just going to go find who I can find who will agree with what I want to do in my life. And so do we see it happening today? Absolutely we see it happening today. And we see it within not just mainstream Christianity. We are seeing it even within uh, what we would formerly have thought of as very conservative Christianity where there's a bending and the word of God is now really not saying what we thought it was saying before and we're aligning our doctrine to fit culture rather than culture fitting doctrine. There's a second aspect he says. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. He says there's going to be a rise in warfare and world hostility. Verse 6 and 7. Now we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but understand that the specifically when he says that nation will rise against nation, it is a really interesting word. It's going to come up later in the same passage because the word for nation is the word ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity. And that primarily that the wars that take place are not going to be between simply geographical borders and boundaries, but the wars and the hostility will be taking place within ethnicities. And that is exactly what we see taking place, specifically in the Middle East, but we're seeing that all over the world, that, that the warfare that's taking place is not just within the geographical borders, but we're seeing it happen because of differences in ethnicities. Number three, unprecedented natural disasters. He says there's going to be famines. Famine comes because of drought primarily. And earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, when you get into the book of Revelation, it gets a little more specific into what the results of those famines, those ecological disasters are, are the unprecedented natural disasters. By the way, not just a uh, natural disaster, but a lot of ecological disaster, which is um, uh, the polluting of water and those types of things that takes place. What is interesting is that the Red Cross, International Federation of the Red Cross um, has just simply reported last year that the rise in natural disasters has been increasing since the 1960s, but since the 1990s has been going up at a clip about 35%. Now you can, you can argue as to what's causing that, but it shouldn't surprise us. And right about now, this is where people start to pinch their children so that they'll cry so they can take them out of the service, right? Because it's like, this is not encouraging stuff. But it's the beginning of the birth pains, he says. Uh, Tammy, when we had our children, 
uh, I assume this is how normal delivery takes place, is that she began to, in fact, I, I prayed. I, I said, Lord, now you got to understand, we were in a place where Tammy was, she, she played piano on uh, Sunday mornings, and uh, so I just made a joke with our church, a uh, little church in Warsaw, Indiana. I said, uh, just want you to know, I've, uh, Tammy's going to uh, go into labor uh, on Sunday so that we can have our baby and she can be back in church by the next Sunday. It was just kind of a joke. It was just joke. Sherry, you know what I'm saying? It was a joke. Maybe it was a bad joke, but I was 23. And uh, it is kind of funny. Last, last package of songs, Sunday night. Tammy starts having contractions. I'm feeling like a prophet. Little did I know, baby wouldn't be born until late the next night. <laughs> I said, I got to be a little more specific with the Lord when we ask the next time. But it's interesting, she began to have contractions, she began to have birth pains. And then what's interesting is that there's that beginning, and it's painful, but the pain actually intensifies and they get closer together as you near the time of, of delivery. Jesus says, there's the beginning of the birth pains. You're going to notice that the, the proximity of these things is going to get closer. And then the intensity is going to get closer. And he uses a very powerful word picture to talk about how things are going to develop. Number four, economic chaos. He says that a quart there are going to be famines. Revelation says that a quart of wheat is going to be for a day's wages. Which means a, it will take, it's no longer a day's wages to buy two cars, toys, um, a second home, and your primary dwelling place just to have enough to exist on is going to take pretty much everything you've got. That's economic turmoil. We can get deeper into that when we hit the lessons later next month. But it's going to be a trying time. He says there's going to be spiritual persecution. He says you'll be handed over to be persecuted. All nations will hate you because of me. At that time... Many will turn away from their faith and betray and hate each other. Because of the wickedness of the of the because of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. It's really interesting. He, he says there's going to be this combination of persecution, of fading away in the abandonment of the faith, but then he also talks about that because of the prevalence of wickedness within culture, there's going to be a, a dying of our, maybe what, what Paul said, or what John says in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 when he's speaking to the church of Ephesus that, that we need to return to our first love, that this, there's going to be a diminishment in our first love relationship with the Lord. Well, let's talk about this idea of persecution just a little bit because, again, for those that live in the United States, I think this is one of those that it, it just seems such a foreign thing to us. What's interesting is that a, a basic study of those who have been martyred for the faith 
over the last 2,000 years, statistics tell us that somewhere around 75 million people have lost their lives because of Jesus Christ, because of their testimony in Jesus Christ. 75 million people have lost their lives over the last 2,000 years. Over half of them have been in the last 100 years. And in the last 15 years, there have averaged somewhere between 50 and 100,000 who have been martyred for Christ each year in our world. Received a prayer need earlier in February of this year from our church in Nigeria. Many of you have met uh, Ezekiel, and he's one of our key partners who works there in Nigeria. And we had uh, 24 in one village, those who were Christian men, 24 Christian men were martyred for their faith. Uh, 19 of their women were taken into captivity and were held um, and kidnapped. Uh, this was back in February. Two weeks later, we got an update. Four more men had been martyred for their faith. And so to think that this isn't already happening in our world, it's actually been happening, and it's been happening in a, a more prevailing way. Voice of the Martyrs, which is a ministry that's based out of northern Indiana, has really, their entire ministry is to bring attention to those that are being martyred for their faith. But let's not just talk about persecution in the area of losing one's life. Let's look at persecution in an attack for standing for what is biblical. It's really interesting. You know, you, you know it's, there's been this thing happening over the last about decade, specifically the last eight years, how even in our culture, we are seeing a real push that is is trying to redefine what our rights are under the Constitution. Now, <clears throat> you'll notice, if you pay attention, you'll notice that an emphasis has been placed over the last eight to ten years on the right of Americans to worship as they see fit. But let me share with you, that is not what the Constitution outlines. The Constitution outlined freedom of religion, and there's a difference. Worship is how you choose to gather, assemble, and worship the Lord. Religion is how you follow the Lord in the everyday and put it into practice. By the way, the Ninth Court of Appeals that should strike a chord with you. One of the most liberal courts in the land upheld that about four years ago. Only reason I know about it is it had to do with one of our churches and one of my friends was the one that was in the court where they upheld the right of the church to operate outside the walls of the church. This particular church in Northern California was being told by the city government that they weren't allowed to reach into the homeless community. They weren't allowed to work with the migrant community because the city didn't want that particular influence. And so they basically told the church the only time each week they were allowed to open their doors was on Sunday morning. The Ninth Court of Appeals, they were going to go to the Supreme Court. The Ninth Court of Appeals upheld and they said if anything is religion it is caring for the homeless the orphan the widow and the migrant among us 
And so what you're seeing is this very important aspect that you have the right to worship. And it, it isn't that you have the right to, you have the right to worship, but you have the right to religion. You have the right to actually live out your faith. That's why you hear all the turmoil going on. That's why people push back on some of the things that are going on right now. And folks, that just really shouldn't shock you at all. Because more and more, those that are believers in Christ are going to be forced or tried to be forced within the pattern of you can do your thing as long as your thing doesn't impact anybody else. And that's part of what Jesus meant by persecution. Number six, just a, a tremendous loss of life. If one word describes the signs of the times it's the word distress jesus said in matthew 24 21 he said for then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again there'll be distress to be unequaled at any time Daniel chapter 12 said exactly the same thing at that time Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise and there will be a time of distress as has never happened from the beginning of nations until then but at that time your people everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered and so you're saying, you said there was going to be some encouraging words coming here somewhere, Pastor. Well, understand there are signs. There are signs of the times. There are signs so that we're not taken by surprise. God's word is really clear on that because he wants us to be informed, even though we don't know the day or the hour. But there are four truths that we can take away from that that Jesus does tell us to be encouraged by. Number one, he says, number one, be ready. Because you don't know the day or the hour. This is that parable of the ten virgins. He says, since you don't know the day and the hour, he says, you need to be prepared all the time. And by the way, since we don't know the day and the hour, whenever we're going to be meeting with the Lord, we should always live in an up-to-date, ready relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, he says you need to be faithful. This is the parable where he talks about the parable of the talents. And he says, I want you to understand that you will be held accountable for what you do with what God has given to you. Notice what he says in this passage. After a long time, the master of the servants are going to return. It's a picture of the Lord returning. And he says, those who have been faithful, God will call them faithful and welcome them home. So understand, we are to be ready, we are to be faithful. Number three, we need to be engaged. And I'm not sure this is the right one for this. Maybe the word is compassionate, but this is the parable of the goat and the sheets, that there's going to be a separation and that God is going to look at us and he says, I want you to understand that there is going to be a day of judgment where there, those who have, who have represented me and cared for the least of these, they're the ones that I'm going to be welcoming home. In fact, he says it this way. He says, um, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous said to him, Lord, when did we do that for you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And I got to tell you, if there is any passage that has challenged me personally in the last decade, it's that passage. Because I feel like I'm being responsible with what God has given to me. I, I feel like I'm ready. I'm up to date in my relationship. But I am constantly being challenged by the Lord. But are you putting this, are you showing compassion to the least of these? But there is actually a fourth takeaway, and that is, is to be encouraged. And you're thinking, how in the world can you be encouraged when you're talking about the end stuff? Because there is a difference. You've got to understand the twofold nature of the return of Christ. Now, the first aspect of the return of Christ is that Christ is going to return to rescue, reward, and return home with his church. That's called the rapture. I just want to make sure everybody knows that word, so I'm going, to, I'm going to have us say it together, okay? On the count of three, I want you to say rapture. Ready? One, two, three, rapture, okay? Now, the word rapture, you're saying, why do you want us to know that word? Because it's not even found in Scripture. It is, it's a Latin word. It means to catch up, and it comes directly out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul is talking about the return of the Lord, and he says that after the dead in Christ rise, so we will will also rise with him he says it this way in first thessalonians 4 17 after that we who are still alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will be with the lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words peter says it this way second peter chapter 2 verse 9 if this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. God knows how to rescue us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be controlled, uh, self-controlled, putting on faith and love, uh, 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 putting on love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as in fact you are doing. The great hope of the Christian church is that Christ is returning, but when Christ returns, the primary aspect that we think about is he's returning to rescue the bride. He's returning to rapture the bride. He's returning to take us home. Now, people love to argue when that's all going to take place, but it's interesting. Scripture also tells us that right now the Holy Spirit is holding back kind of the worst of the worst. 
And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that when he who was holding back that secret power of lawlessness is taken away, then it's going to kind of have full vent in the world. So what we're seeing right now is just the signs. We're seeing things being set up, but there's going to be a time it actually gets way worse. But understand this, the Spirit of God is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is taken away, guess what? So are we. And so you're saying, well, wait a minute, but there's a lot of stuff that's tough. Yeah, I know. There's been a lot of stuff that's been tough for a lot of years. But God knows how to rescue his people. And God knows how to care for his people. Now there's a second aspect of the return of Christ, and that is to reign and to rule and to righteously judge. That's found all throughout Scripture, but specifically not just the passages we read today, but into uh, Revelation chapter 19 and 20. There is going to be a day when there's a judgment. By the way, there's a different kind of a judgment for believers than what there is for non-believers. We're not going to be judged as to whether or not we're going to go to heaven. (laughs) We're already there. We will be judged for what we've done with what God has given us. Our time, our talents, our tithe, whatever it is, we will be held accountable for that. But that's not whether or not we're going to be in heaven. It's just simply... It's just simply the judgment seat of Christ. But there is going to be a judgment that there will be a delineation between those who were with the Lord forever and those who were not. And I think it's important for us to understand something. When I was a kid, I used to watch an after-school program, and I don't really remember what the program's name was, but they had a theme song, and the theme song was this the big blue marble in space. As though to kind of give the idea, we're just a big blue marble, that's Earth, by the way, that's floating through space. And I think sometimes that when we, when we kind of get on with life, even as believers, we kind of just think about that we're just this big blue marble in space, and what will happen will happen whenever it happens. But understand, God actually has a plan. And God actually has an end game. Let me give you one last verse, if I can, in Isaiah chapter 46. Because it's incredibly encouraging to me. And you may have never thought about it before. Isaiah 46, this is the Lord, and he is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And here's what he says. I am God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make the, get this, I make known the end from the beginning. Did you hear that? I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times what is still yet to come. And I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. 
God said, I'm God and there's no one like me. And from the beginning, I already knew what the end was going to look like. I do have an end game. And he says, and I do have a purpose and I do have a plan. And my purpose and my plan will come about. So for the child of God, that should be an encouragement. Because our dad has a plan. Abba Father has a plan. And he knows how to bring it about. And to bring it down to a more specific, is that in your life today? Because right now, the last thing you might be thinking about is all this other stuff. Because what's going on today is so heavy. I am God. And there is none like me. And I've declared the end from the beginning. And even with what you're facing today, my purpose will still stand. There is nothing that is happening that I'm out of control. There is nothing that is happening that I don't know that it's happening. And I know how to bring about what I want to bring about, when I want to bring it about. Because I'm God. And so, yes, the day and the hour, unexpected. But there should be no uncertainty in your heart. I am coming. I'm coming for you. Be ready. And so, Father, I, I, I thank you for your word. You know, these are things that I've studied <clears throat> over the years for countless number of hours. And I know that when you give a kind of a whirlwind 35-minute message that uh, it can all hit you very quickly and very fast. But if there's something that we need to learn, it's just that you do have a plan and there is an end game. And we always want to make sure that our life is not being lived just for today, but that we do understand there's an eternity yet to come. And, and for the one that's listening today who is really maybe saying, I really don't know if I'm ready for that day. Lord, you've told us that to all who receive you, to all who believe in your name, you give them the right to be called children of God. And that as a child of God, we are marked with the spirit of deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, Father, my prayer is that there wouldn't be a single person today that would have to leave this time, this place, without saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I know you're in control. I want to serve you with all of my life so that I get to worship you with all of eternity. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.